Hello and welcome to the 146th episode of From Alpha to Omega. Today is Thursday the 14th of January 2021 and I'm your host Tom O'Brien. Today we have part 2 of our interview with Mike McNair where we continue our debate about the merits of entryism as a communist tactic. Part 3 will be released as a Patreon only episode in the next couple of days. So head on over to Patreon if you want to listen to that episode. This week, I have the new patrons, Shelby Kruver and Nick J to thank. Okay, let's return to the discussion. But like, what, what I would say to you, Mike, is like that in the South, like growing up as a kid, right right up until, say, in I think early 2000s was the first seat that Sinn Féin got in the South. They never even had one seat. And that the vote that they have in the in the South now, they're the biggest party now in the South, they went from, say, like late 90s, no no seats, probably 2% in the polls, three, maybe 5% in the polls, to now they're in the polls in the like high 20s, low 30s. And that in the South, they've never had a mass movement, right? There's never been a mass movement down South backing them. Yeah. But, but what has backed them is there... There is outsiders to the political game. When exactly. Yeah, the two-party system, they, they're, they're external to that. So the, the power of being seen as the other, as not the defender of this regime, on, on the purely political level, can have great effect. And oh, yeah. to me, but, it's but like, I feel like the entryism, it's, it's like, a, it's been shown now, I think, to me to be like, I think it's, I think it feels like it's the thing that had to happen, but it feels like that we should be saying that that is not a great. That is a dead. I to me, it's a dead end. I don't see. I don't see anything of it. I don't think it's the organisation question. It's it, the essence of it is that you have to somehow make clear to the masses that you are the opponent of this system. If anybody at the moment has succeeded in appearing as the opponent of this system, it's sorry to say, it's bloody Farage. Yeah, it's the Brexit Brexit party, one hundred percent. And it, it isn't, that isn't because of Brexit. You can see that with the no to EU guys. They just came across as this is another attempt to for, reforge, uh, to reform the old bloody Labour Party on the same bureaucratic centralist basis. It's partly, of course, because the capitalist class backed, or not the capitalist class as a whole, but a sufficiently significant section of finance capital backed Farage and was, um, pushing and a significantly section of media capital in the form of the guys who own the Express and Telegraph was backing Farage. And to some extent, actually, Paul Dacre wasn't exactly backing Farage, but he was pushing. So it was a split in the capitalist class. But the essence of it is, is it, it it's, it's, it's really that you have to be conveying somehow, and I don't know how the hell to do it. I'm, what I do know is it doesn't work just by being the outsider. Yeah. It's, it's, it's right to keep the name communist. We're right to keep the name communist. Yeah. The Morning Star guys are right to keep the name communist. Uh, but being outside Socialist Workers' Party, everybody, it's been around for bleeding ages. Everybody knows of it as, uh, what the guys who do the anti-Nazi League and uh, Fash Bash and stuff like that, and uh, hey, it's it's part of the ordinary political round, and it's part of the ordinary political round because the Socialist Workers Party is determined to be in united front with 
the Labour bureaucracy and, if possible, with good Tories. Is what the anti-Nazi league was. It was with and the stand up to racism. It's with good Tories against the fascists. It's the People's Front. And that somehow I don't know. It's it's I, I I don't have a straight answer to this, but I'm I'm pretty I'm certain that it's not that by being organisationally independent we solve the problem. No, but I think uh, I think there are I think there are intertwined. I think there are of a you know, it's dialectical. I don't know. I think it's the two. The two together, I think there's a synergy there where you can have your own independence and be seen to be entirely independent. And I do think that's why Brexit Party do well, because they position themselves as the other in the political system. Now, of course, they're going to get all the media uh, exposure yeah, and all yeah. that. Think about the uh, bleeding uh, American, German social. The origin of this, in essence, uh, is... That there were two groups, neither of which was at all significant, which was the ADAV and the Eisenachers. And it happened to be the case that because of the way in which uh, Bismarck set up the elections to the Reichstag, that the Eisenachers got a couple of MPs. And when the war with France broke out in 1870, although the ADAV backed Bismarck and the government, the Eisenachers against Marx's advice. So it's sort of this is them acting against Marx. They're against Marx's advice, abstained on the military budget. There was a huge scandal about it. Because there was a huge scandal about it, they got a lot of tag. These guys are the outsiders. And that was the frame that the SPD are the outsiders, the SPD are a fundamental threat to the Constitution, right down to August 1914. The way in which German politics worked was that the SPD are the outsiders. August 1914 transforms that and changes it radically. But it's a sort of it's a good luck thing. In the same way as actually the uh, if they hadn't the Scottish Socialist Party, if they hadn't gone for respectability, they they went off. They kicked off with. Tommy Sheridan got a whole lot of publicity out of the poll tax struggle, and they used the Scottish branch of the of the militant of the Socialist Party used Tommy Sheridan's popularity around the poll tax struggle to kick off a larger movement, and that larger movement, Scottish Socialist Party at its height, you, know, you have to remember that Scotland is a hell of a lot smaller than England, so Scottish Socialist Party at its height was serious serious organisation which was mobilising a whole lot of people but their determination to be labour right that they were going to be respectable and put forward limited labour right economic demands socialism in a single country and Tommy Sheridan cult of the personality of Tommy Sheridan and then when the uh, some section of the capitalist class digs up Tommy Sheridan's sex life the whole thing blows up Whereas it's quite possible to imagine a way in which the SSP, Socialist Socialist Party, could have gone, in which uh, the uh, response to the News of the World story about Tommy Sheridan's sex life was, hey, publish and be damned. Oh, totally. It's, like, it's the way they should have put the themselves. They, have they could have done it. Oh. It was very difficult for them to do it. It was difficult for them to do it for two reasons, one of which was that they'd gone for respectability and that they'd gone a whole load of press around Tommy Sheridan and Gail's marriage and, oh, God. And the other was also that they adopted the Swedish model on prostitution. So having adopted the Swedish model 
on prostitution, which is that the client should be criminalised, then to say that Tommy Sheridan was actually patronising prostitutes was sort of, hey, this is an absolute fucking killer. Yeah. Well, was it prostitutes or was it just like a sex club? No, uh, it was uh, set prostitutes as well as a sex club. Got it. Okay, yeah. yeah I, 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 I followed you. Some of it was true. Some of it probably wasn't true. But it was enough to kill the... Apart from yes, it was they, what killed it. Actually, even was not even the allegations against Sheridan, but the the efforts of the SSP leadership to try and avoid being caught with the dirt on Sheridan, as it were, which was just the most astonishingly, a really astonishingly stupid, really stupid conduct i think probably <laughs> because they wanted to screw him over but which is what he and his thinkers thought partly but anyhow it was just so mad that you know you'd think if they'd taken any serious legal advice at all they wouldn't have done what they did however my point is simply that you get you, you get this opportunities which arise which arise for you in ways which are unpredictable yeah and you can't guarantee uh, the same way the Corbyn movement. The, 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 if the people who ran the Corbyn movement had only had a different conception of how to do politics, as opposed to the straight left conception, win the next Labour government, which is essentially the Morning Star, the British Road to Socialism conception, they could have taken that and made of it either a massive opposition within the Labour Party, or alternatively, they get they fight and. They get purged and they make a massive party outside the Labour Party. If Galloway had, at the time of the actual invasion of Iraq, rather than waiting to be expelled from the Labour Party, walked out and denounced the Labour Party and called for a new party, that could have kicked off as a big mass party. So I'm not, I'm not fetish of uh, that you have to do entry. I'm just saying it's possible to do tactics of one sort or another with mass parties. Okay, so like, that brings us directly to like a kind of another lump of questions so it's the kind of idea of like a dirty break like in 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 the democrats in america you have this big you know the dsa in america talk about the dirty break whereby you get into the democratic party you get shafted to a certain extent you grow your forces and you get shafted and eventually you decide to break from a position you think of optimal political potency and you use that to create your third party and away you run like you don't really mention that strategy in the book i don't think at all what are your views on that whole type of strategy just like we talked with with, with galloway there well in a sense it it that's the problem essentially with the, the galloway didn't want to be to wake a split in the labor party now he wanted to be left allowed to continue in the party yeah he didn't want to launch a new party if he did want to launch a new party which was respect he wanted to have a very clear top-down control of it just as arthur scargill when he launched the socialist labor party he wanted to have very clear top-down control of it all these guys they internalize the norms of bureaucratic top-down control and because they internalize the norms of bureaucratic top-down control they sterilize their movement from achieving anything. Okay, so dirty break in Democrats. I'm not going to commit one way or another to this. It's like 
there is a sense in which uh, the electoral systems in the UK and in the United States are very undemocratic. The electoral systems in the United States are even more undemocratic than in the UK. FX, there was this green third-party green candidate, and he was kept off the ballot in Pennsylvania. And if he'd been allowed onto the ballot in Pennsylvania, it's quite possible that Trump would have won Pennsylvania. That doesn't necessarily mean that Trump would have won the whole thing, but that the controls on the ballot, we aren't allowed by the Electoral Commission to stand candidates under the name Communist Party because the Electoral Commission says it's too similar to the Communist Party of Britain's name and why they say that they should have the right and we shouldn't. That's their choice. The Socialist Party of England and Wales aren't allowed to stand candidates under the name Socialist Party because it's too similar to the name Socialist Party of Great Britain. Well, okay, the Socialist Party of Great Britain has been there for ages and ages and ages. But the essence of the matter is that uh, the Electoral Commission, the fact that the Electoral Commission refuses to give reasons, refuses to disclose any of its internal affairs, relies on the fact that judicial review of its proceedings would cost too much money, demonstrates that, in fact, the Electoral Commission is doing this with a view to the advantage of the Conservative and Labour parties. And actually, it's clear that that was why the Electoral Commission, the Representation of Political Parties Act and so on and so forth, was all designed to secure bureaucratic control in the interests of the state apparatus and the main parties. Okay, so then the corollary of that is Maybe you have to stand on the democratic ballot line in order to be able to stand at all. Yeah. And in that sense, again, we had this, this debate. I, again, I have written about this, God, now 10 years ago now. I think it was more actually 12 years, uh, 11, 12 years ago. Uh, electoral tactics. The SPD in Prussia, they had a three class franchise. Class one was the rich, class two was the middle classes, class three was the upper working classes, and the mass of the working class had no votes. And the question is, how do you stand in that circumstance? The answer turns out to be the only way you can stand is by making electoral stand-down agreements with uh, some section of the Liberals. And the SPD started out refusing to do that, but Babel persuaded them to enter into, to move into making agreements of that sort. The same is true, in fact, of the Russians, the Russian Social Democratic Party, and indeed the Bolshevik Conference of Congress of Conference, Conference of the Conference of 1912, which is generally taken as being the split. It says we won't enter into any stand down agreements or coalition agreements with anybody in the workers' curia because they had a workers' curia which was the first tier election, and then urban curia for the middle classes, and then peasant curia, and landlord curia, and so on and so forth. We won't enter into any stand-down agreements with anybody in the workers' curia. We insist on standing in our own name. But in the urban curia, we try and stand in our own name, but if we can't, we're prepared to enter into stand-down agreements with the the left, the, the broader left. So it, it's not an absolute no. But the question is, again, it's the usual damn thing. Is your participation actually leading to a dirty break with the Democratic Party? Or is it leading to pull the Labour movement into the Democratic Party? 
which fairly clearly was the policy, the Lib Lab MPs who stood Labour representation through the Liberal Party in the 1890s, 1900s. The project the, 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 before the formation of the Labour Party, the project was to win working class votes for the Liberal Party. And in the same way, actually, the commitment of the Communist Party, certainly of the Communist Party USA, I'm less clear about DSA, but certainly a part of DSA also, but of CPUSA and DSA, their commitment to the Democratic Party is about building the People's Front in the form of the Democratic Party. And that the working class has to subordinate itself to the democratic right wing. So the CPUSA in 2016 backed Clinton. Clinton over Sanders. It's an interesting question. Is the dirty break going to work in the sense of a dirty break? In reality, what happened in terms of the British Labour Party is not dirty break. What happened in the British Labour Party is that the left groups, that is to say the Independent Labour Party and the Social Democratic Federation started winning local elections in sufficiently large numbers that that then precipitated the idea perhaps we can, the trade unions can work with an independent, get, create an independent parliamentary caucus. But you needed the left groups winning the local elections first in order for that issue to be posed. And in order to do that, you needed left groups because actually the the ILP was about fourteen thousand, and the SDF about nine or ten thousand, something of that order. So that all that the, these groups were bigger than the British far left is. That's the same sort of size, of course, that the ADAV and the in Germany the ADAV and the Eisenachers were again about the same sort of size. The ADAV was bigger, about fifteen thousand. The Eisenachers were seven or eight thousand, and they fused at Gotha over Marx and Engels' objections. And that fusion is the kickoff, which enables it to expand, explode into hundred thousand plus in the same way. Refondazione was a moderately sized splinter of the CP, which opened itself up to the far left groups outside it and recruited them all in. And that allowed a kick off into, didn't allow kick, kick off in terms of massive vote numbers, but it allowed kick off in membership up to 100,000 or thereabouts and uh, extraordinarily lively existence for a while. So yeah, we can get these things that can happen, but it's a mistake, I think, to say it has to be through dirty break. You can do that. You can use it as a tactic. It's a mistake to say that that's the only way. There's uh, the guys at Cosmonaut have got have uh, printed an article which is called a twelve-step program for breaking with Democrat addiction, which is sort of halfway between what I've just been saying here, and it's about. Actually saying, yes, it's a dirty break. Let's make it actually work like that and not like we're endorsing guys who are a bit more left-wing in the Democratic Party. Next question here. We've talked in the, you talk in the book a lot about how you, you say as the party, you position yourself in opposition to the current constitutional regime. So you say, yeah, we're not, we're not going to go into government unless you meet our minimum program of where it'll radically change the nature of the constitution itself but like so that makes sense at a at a say parliamentary level 
But what about when you get down to local elections? You know, in America, you got attorney generals, or you got judges and sheriffs, or even like in in the UK, you got county council or councillors, and Ireland, you got county councillors and all that level. So, do you envisage applying that same tactic at lower levels of governmental organisation? Well, no, clearly you can't because you the position in relation to central government is in theory we can say right. If we get if we get a majority, we're going to overthrow the. That's what it's essentially saying. If we get a majority, we're going to overthrow the constitution. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. We can do that as a ju- we can justify that as a course of action in the UK on the basis if we get a majority in the in a general election, we can justify it if we get a majority in the European Parliament if we were if we were actually in the EU. And say right. Indeed, we could justify it in the United States. We say we get a majority in the House of Representatives. The House of Representatives will convert itself into a constitutional convention and that uh, we will suppress and arrest the Supreme Court. The, you have to say that you're going to do this. This is what we're going to do. This is that, that we, 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 we are a party which stands for the overthrow of the Constitution. Local government, you can't do that because obviously it's local government and ex hypothesi. You can possibly imagine that it might be the case, say, for example, that politics moves very rapidly between a general election and the following May elections in local government. And the May elections in local government return a large majority for the Communist Party. Well, hey, in this case, we might choose to kick off by organising a convention of the local authorities to overthrow the constitution. But you can't, what you can't do is in the case of an individual local authority, like the militant had Liverpool, they could have formed an illegal, made it passed an illegal budget and fought at the same time as the miners' strike. And if that had been done by the Labour councils all across England and Wales, the left councils all across England and Wales in 1984 to 5, the government would have been in deep fucking shit because they'd have been fighting the miners' strike on the one side and at the same time fighting the London councils, the Liverpool council, blah, 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 up and down the country. But just having control of an individual council, that that's you can't do that. And in fact, Trotsky wrote sensibly on this question he wrote about it in connection with the uh, workers' co-participation in management in the Mexican oil industry. They nationalised it on terms that was an element of workers' co-participation in management. He says you have to participate in these things and you have to get what you can out of them, but you also have to constantly explain to the masses when you stand for them, there's very little we can do. There's little things which we can do with control of the local government. We can we can get the, the bins. We can improve the arrangements in relation to the bins. Maybe we can find ways to improve housing. We can, perhaps we can say, for example, we could publicize vacant properties that the uh, owners are holding vacant in order to wait for better times to come and say, there's things which you can do by virtue of being having the public position of being in local government but 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 you have to do it within the framework of that you're not going to kick off the revolution from even the greater london council but you're not opposed to taking control of local council no not 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 that you have to begin it's a sort of it's a it's 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 always bleeding concrete choices 
Yeah? But as far as local government is concerned, I think actually it's easy enough to explain in relation to local government. Look, local government has limited powers. There are limited things which we can do in control of local government. Okay, it may be that even the things we think we can do in local government, we can't do because it turns out the judiciary are going to come down on us, like Robertson Hopwood, where the popular councillors were surcharged for the eccentric socialist philanthropy of paying equal pay to men and women. Ah, <laughs> so you're always at risk of that sort of thing because the judiciary, you have to understand that the judiciary are an arm of the Conservative Party or have been since, well, the judiciary is appointed out, was before 1945, appointed out of the Liberal Party and the Conservative Party, but the Conservative Party had been in government since 31, and uh, there hadn't been any Liberal appointments. And then in 45, the Labour Party agreed to give up its right to spoils appointments in the judici senior judiciary, said that we would depoliticise it, which means the existing judiciary, who were Conservatives, would appoint, would select their own successors. And since then, the Blair administration sneaked, not even the whole of the Blair administration, but the uh, first phase. Derry Irvine sneaked a number of leftists into the senior judiciary, like Stephen Sedley and others. Uh, but his general rule, the judiciary, is an arm of the Conservative Party. And in the States, it's Republicans and Democrats, but at the moment, Republican dominated. In France, the, the law schools have been were the centres of the extreme right, the guys who were fascist militias, were run out of the law schools in the 1970s. And that political character is reflected in the French judiciary, senior judiciary. Oh, yeah, quick one. What about something like confidence and supply arrangements by a commie party? In principle, I don't think you'd want to do that either because it's involves voting supply. Yeah, so the, the, the basic point, this was the, the point of the SPD's opposition policy was they wouldn't bloody vote supply. Now, no confidence, not a penny, not a man for this government until we get our minimum program. And that was the, what the defeat of August 1914 was about was that they voted supply. Okay. I can see why there is a temptation. So for the guys in the red green alliance in Denmark to enter into a confidence and supply arrangement. There's this tremendous pressure. You've got to keep the right wing out. Yeah. But, hey, we, we kept the right wing out. We voted Blair in. Yeah. We kept the, we got rid of John Major. We kept, got the Tories out, but we got the Tories out by virtue of accepting a, what was in essence a continuity, Thatcher continuity regime. And in a sense, the same, our fault you're right with Trump, you know, they, they got rid of Trump. Yeah. Who is Biden? Yeah. Biden is the architect, one of the architects, not the only architect, but one of the architects of the Carcarell Archipelago and the militarized American police. Yeah. And who has he appointed? He's appointed a whole bunch of uh, hawks. Yeah. So far, a bunch of people who are the, on the far right of the Democratic Party. So there's like a sort of, Converse of that, the Corbyn movement had no real chance of winning the election in 2017, but the consequence of it, the hard difficulties that the May administration got into was there was a whole load of concessions made to the working class by the judiciary and to some extent by the government in the aftermath of the 2017 election. So that 
you can win concessions from opposition. The legalization of trade unions was won from a conservative administration uh, in 1872 after the liberals had attempted to legalize trade unions and then it had been overthrown by the judiciary in order to make life easier for the conservative party. So you can win stuff from opposition and therefore don't be too hung up on government. Okay. Um, sorry, this one is kind of going back towards the kind of entryism. I kind of missed it when we did it, but I think it's an interesting one. Let's say, Mike, then we have CPGB, Wet Dream, that they take over the Labour Party, right? Let's say it's the PCC are in charge of the Labour Party. Away we go. And they take policy like more and more radical and say they keep, say they don't win the elections. Yeah, while they take control, say the radical left take control of the Labour Party, but they still lose the general elections. And they maintain control, but they're still not able to get a majority. What's the end game in that? Is the end game losing control? The, the end game to me seems to be, even if you get your wet dream, you you probably will lose control of your party through having all of the elements of the state. Get control of the Labour Party. And the answer is how you get control of the Labour Party. The only way to get control of the Labour Party is to win a political majority in the trade unions. It doesn't matter how many people you've got on the ground in the constituency Labour Parties. You know? The Labour Party is the creature of the trade unions. Indeed, the Labour Party technique, what the Labour Party properly should be characterised as, is the political representative of the trade union bureaucracy. Okay. Now, it's possible to move in that direction by a fight within the Labour Party feeds back in terms of the fight within the political fight within the trade unions. That in a sense, uh, Starmer uh, Starmer was able to win the leadership of the Labour Party, partly because the Labour Party, Labour left, as well as the Labour right, think about everything because it has to happen through government. And then a whole load of people who are ex-leftists voted for Starmer Thinking, actually, probably not quite realizing what he is, but thinking of him as a, a some sort of uh, center ground. And okay, he's got a history. He was a Pabloite back in the nineteen eighties. He was a he's got left leftish leftist history in that sense. Um, yeah, yeah, like Jack Straw, or oh God, what's the man's name? T. Dan Smith. He was an ex-trop. He was the leader of. Uh, Newcastle Council got busted for uh, corruption in the late 60s, early 70s. I can't remember. It was the Paulson scandal. So, yeah, lots of ex-leftists can be nothing in particular. Okay, so the point is what we're about is not about accidentally capturing control of the Labour Party, let alone accidentally capturing the, 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 the position of leader, which is what happened to Corbyn. What we're about is building a transformative movement which can be inside or outside the Labour Party, but which can, by winning the majority in the trade union movement, either win the majority in Labour or in the event that Labour breaks with the trade unions in order to be avoid being taken over by the left, be the basis of uh, a, a mass Communist Party. That's what our, our aim, this is CP, our aim is a mass communist party. The question of what to do about the Labour Party, this is just a story en route to the object of 
a mass communist party. Okay, so then where are we talking about? We're actually talking about the situation of being potentially a large mass opposition party which builds on the ground, which builds cooperative movements, which builds workers' education, which builds the trade unions, which builds uh, fates, you know, like Fete l'Humanité in France or the fiestas of the old PCI before it was uh, de-radicalised or of the or all the various different things which the SPD did, workers' rifle clubs, workers' youth organisations, workers' art, workers' etc, 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 that you build this great, bloody great big network of, uh, quote, civil society organisations linked by a political party. And the political party, by virtue of its anti-constitutional character, is in a stronger position to defend the independence of the state civil society organisations of the mass movement organisations from the efforts of the state to take over control of them through judicial review and other forms of regulatory interference. So that's what the business is. Okay, so then are you going to go from that into government? Well, it depends. It may be that you will win a general election it's very unlikely that you will win a general election in the sense of winning a parliamentary majority. Even if you win a parliamentary majority, the Queen is not obliged to, to form a government on the basis of the parliamentary majority. She can say, it's such a dangerous thing that these guys should form a government that I'm not going to agree to them forming a government. But if you've got a uh, electoral majority, a, vote, a vote, voting majority, then you can take initiative of one sort or another towards overthrowing the state. But more likely, you're in this situation, you've got large, strong opposition, and something goes wrong for the state. And because something goes wrong for the state, the structure of allegiance and loyalty and so on uh, begins to fall apart, there's conflict, and then you are in a position with your large, strong workers' movement to say, we have a way out of this. Nobody else has a way out of this crisis, but we have a way out of it, which is to radically transform the constitutional order and bring in working class rule. Yeah, like when you're saying that, if the Queen like says no to the government, like, you know, at that point, I kind of wanted to have a sound effects board here where I could do the loading of a shotgun. You could do the sort of thing of, okay, the first thing we're going to do, we assemble parliament, we get, suppose we do get a parliamentary majority, I think it's actually, as I say, I don't think it's terribly likely to get a parliamentary majority, because the technique, first past the post is deliberately designed to force a choice between rival gangs of uh, bribe takers. And in particular, actually, the uh, single member constituency is deliberately designed to make MPs into a kind of ombudsman working for the state to help out individuals rather than representatives of their localities. Okay, so, but suppose you did get a majority, we summon parliament, can't summons, we join parliament, and we immediately pass the resolutions which were passed in 1649 that the monarchy has proved to be useless and dangerous, that the House of Lords has proved to be useless and dangerous, and we set up the Council of State on the basis of the single single chamber parliament. Again, it's a you have to have before this happens, you have to have done a lot of work undermining 
uh, undermining the legitimacy of the existing state. And there has to be hope. I've written this in my most recent piece about the party question, polemicizing against Neil Faulkner and Martin Thomas. The, the, the organizations of the workers' movement have to offer a hope of a different way of doing things. At the moment, what's happened is that the organizations of the workers' movement have become managerialized, and that's true even of the trot groups, that they're managerialized organizations, that when they're presented with an opportunity to do something, their natural instinct is to say there has to be a long top table and there has to be a meeting which is almost entirely composed of top table interventions and we marginalize resolution taking at the branch and the center has to have control and there has to be safe spaces and safeguarding rules and all the other crap which it has the effect that the local branches there's no there's no space for creativity and then who the hell can believe because at least capitalism allows you a little space for creativity within the framework of having uh, enough money to buy cheap books, uh, choose what food you eat, etc., etc., etc. The norms of, quote, labour movement norms, as they're conceived by the far left and also by the labour right, are Stalinist and have exactly the same demobilising effect as classical Stalinism. Okay, uh, next one. We were talking there about, like, you know, the Queen just going, ah, no, lads, you're not, you're not forming the government, you're too dodgy. We've seen now the difference in kind of developments within Venezuela versus Bolivia, the, the importance of having, say, army or, you know, basically army loyalty. I'm not exactly sure the nature of the police loyalty in Venezuela, but the army seems to be squarely behind the... Maduro government. I, I, I presume at some stage there would have to be like entryism into the British army in that kind of a sense. Are you saying that it's like that it's, um, it would be organic as part of the entire movement? Your ideas have to become so widespread that they contaminate the army. Okay, Bonchbruyevich, who was this general who went over to the Bolsheviks, his brother was a Bolshevik. Whether he was actually a Bolshevik, secret Bolshevik in being a general in the Russian army, I doubt. I suspect that what it was was that he was a, an army officer and then the collapse of the regime, the inability of the regime to win the war, he comes up with the conclusion, hey, the ideas of the Bolsheviks are the right answer. Yeah. Similarly, this guy, the um, Finn, Gustavo Rovio, he was a social democrat rather than a Bolshevik as such because the Finnish social democrats were as... Eric Blank has reminded a slightly different ball game from the Bolsheviks. But yeah, you get big influence and your ideas are going to contaminate people within the state. Cecil Malone, as I say, I, Cecil Malone went to Russia to do an investigative operation, which was intended to, to show to be a uh, display of how terrible Bolshevism was. And he got converted on, on the way. We used to have a a member for a little while, Michael Bettany. He's an oddball case because he, he was he basically was uh, recruited to communism out of MI6 or MI5, I can't remember which it was. Did a whole load of time in jail and then subsequently was uh, briefly a member of ours. 
but oh god uh, the, the 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 portuguese revolution a lot of the, how it happened was that the the generals had a cold coup planned to take over from the fascist corporatist clerical corporatist corporatist dictatorship and younger officers who were actually may also involved in making coup carried it further and they carried it further because in order to f fight counterinsurgency operations in Mozambique and Angola, they've been forced to read the political literature of the Mozambique and Angolan MPLA Frelimo movements and had become radicalized. So it's a sort of, yes, it's not, we're going to do entry operations in the state apparatus. It's if our ideas reach a wide enough audience, begin to get broad enough forces, then it will contaminate the state apparatus and the state apparatus will begin to come apart. On this episode, you heard the theme tune The Order of the Pharaonic Jesters and Night of the Purple Moon by Sun Ra and his orchestra. Thank you for listening and please join me for the next episode of From Alpha to Omega. This show is a member of the Emancipation Network, a Marxist podcast and research collective. Make sure to check out our network sister podcasts General Intellect Unit, Jumpsuit Utopia, Mortal Science, and Swampside Chats. Music